we'll be in First Corinthians, as, as, as Will just said, um, the uh, First Corinthians 2, um, and, and it's a, what a sweet passage for us uh, today. So the question we have here um, in First Corinthians is, uh, what does it mean to be unified as believers? In First Corinthians 1, uh, what is it, verse 10, Paul has given this appeal, this urge to the people, uh, the Corinthian church. Uh, the Corinthian church is a church that is, be, uh, that is gifted. Uh, they are, they're very knowledgeable. They're very eloquent. They're very uh, wise sounding. However, uh, their, their talents and their skills and their education are not matching their love. They've not activated their hearts to, to, uh, to release all of those gifts God has given them for the benefit of all, for the upbuilding of the church. Uh, we're going to find out about this a little bit later in uh, chapter 8 where, where Paul says this knowledge builds or puffs up, but love builds up. They're not building up. They're, they're damning it up. There's no love in their hearts. Um, and, so they, and so there's a problem here. Uh, one, one thing we're doing in this series uh, is that we're taking a look at this Corinthian church, kind of set them out on the table as a case study and look at what went wrong. Why did it go wrong? How, how does it get repaired? Here's some of the pastoral uh, apostolic thoughts and comments of Paul uh, and how to heal those things. And then to kind of take a look at that church and that, you know, that test case and, and see what of those principles apply to us. How does it convict us? How does it encourage us? How does it inform us? So that we might not repeat their errors, but, but repeat uh, the good things about them, uh, which unfortunately there aren't a whole lot of good things in this book, uh, but it's a great uh, way for us to understand deeper uh, what's going on with the church. How does the church function? It's nice to see things that function well, but sometimes we learn more for ourselves when something's a little bit dysfunctional. And so it is a gift to us that we get to look at the Corinthian church to see how we might improve, how we might be better, how we might, not simply just for the sake of progress, um, but how we might just do what we should be doing as a church. I urge you that you be united in the same mind. That's first, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I'd encourage you, there's a lot of scripture in, uh, in today's uh, sermon, uh, and uh, you'll be wanting to be in a Bible of some kind, uh, looking at that, whether it's on your phone or, uh, or a paper Bible that you have before you. Chapter 1, verse 10, I urge you that you be united in the same mind. The same mind, the, th the same uh, approach, the same worldview, the same uh, outlook on life, that you be of the same mind. This is what he's urging us to. This is one of the many things. And so the question that I would have for us today is how do we get there? How do we get to this idea of what Paul is urging the Corinthian church to? The same speak, the same mind, the same judgment. How do we get there? Uh, it's going to come in three ways here. Um, is that through humility, uh, we are going to, uh, we're going to seek Christ. We are going to align ourselves to the cross of Christ, to his truth, to the power that is there, uh, to the love that is with each other. How do we get there? In humble love. That's the answer. In humble love as we look to Christ. Now, the three ways we're going to understand that today we're going, to, we're going to look at this idea of wisdom. We're going to look at the idea of wisdom. Uh, so uh, the first section of our passage is going to talk about the wisdom of God. The second uh, part of our passage will talk about that this wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit. 
and then it is then given, the third part of our, of our sermon here today, is uh, that it is given to those who are spiritual. The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit to those who are spiritual. And so that's where we'll, that's where we'll be today. We're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit more here now. So um, I did want to let you know that I I'm, I'm probably won't be as animated uh, as, as normal. Uh, on Friday morning, I got a wisdom tooth out. So um, I really want to give you a whole lot of pastor jokes because I don't have a wisdom tooth and I'm preaching on wisdom. But I want you to encourage you that um, you need to thank my wife, Stacy. Uh, will be standing in, um, on your behalf, will be listening to all of these this afternoon. Um, and so you can thank her. Uh, you can pray for her. Uh, it'll be brutal because I've got a lot of jokes, but I'll skip that um, and just stay a little bit calmer here so I don't get a little gnarly. Um, so uh, for as much as Paul speaks against wisdom in the preceding verses, it's, uh, it's striking that he now says in verse six, yet we do impart wisdom. I mean, if we're Bible reading and we're remembering everything that we've, we've been reading here, and if we, I mean, even if we drop into this, it's good to uh, to read, you know, what, what was before this, we have to ask this question. Wait, wait a second. I thought we didn't like the wisdom. Uh, why are we now imparting wisdom? I mean, whose wisdom are we talking about? And that's exactly the question we should be asking. Not whether wisdom is good or bad, but what kind of wisdom are we talking about? That's what we should be thinking here in these first couple chapters of Corinthians. Paul tells us what it is. Uh, he says in verse, uh, verse 2, or in verse 6 of chapter 2, just right after that, he says, it's not the wisdom of this age. It's not, 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 not the wisdom of this age. He then qualifies that before that by saying it's not the wisdom of the world. That's in chapter 1, verse 20. The wisdom of the flesh, that's in uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Or the wisdom of men, chapter 2, verse 5. There's this idea that there's, there's some kind of wisdom, some kind of truth sounding, some kind of insight, some kind of way of being, some world view or approach or outlook that is not what Christ is going for. That is actually maybe close to it, but if it's not wholly what Christ is going for, who Christ is, what the plan of God is, then it is the wrong direction. And he says, this is not the wisdom that we are going for here. He says, but we do impart a wisdom. We impart the correct thing we impart the wisdom of God. And he goes on to say that this wisdom is secret. It's hidden. It's pre-existing wisdom. It's glory-focused wisdom. It's Christ-filled wisdom. It's prepared for those who love him kind of wisdom. This wisdom is very, very different than the wisdom of this age. He says, who listens to the wisdom of this age? It's for those who are, the text here says, for those who are uh, perishing. For those who are doomed to pass away is what the ESV says. Literally, the, the, the Greek there says it's for those who are actively perishing. Their destination is perish, and they are then in the process of perishing. As we listen to those truths of the day, as we, as we align our minds and our hearts to a different reality other than Christ, if we say uh, that, that, that um, you know, our job, our legacy, our position in life, our stance on justice, our stance on race, our stance on uh, medicine, our stance on whatever, if that is actually what, runs, what, what rules the day, that's actually all in the category of wisdom of men. 
and says there's something different about this. It's not that Jesus doesn't have science. It's not that Jesus doesn't have politics. It's not that Jesus doesn't have any of those. He's saying there's something different, and Christ has to be first. Otherwise, you're following the wisdom of men. Let's continue on here. He says, what is the content of this wisdom? Well, it's interesting that he says we're not following the wisdom of this age. Uh, and, you know, if we're just dropping into this text, we might say, well, what is wisdom? Well, he's already clarified what the wisdom is. Christ is the content of the wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 30, we read, Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. He gets more specific and says in, uh, uh, before that, in chapter 1, verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Well, that's, <laughs> that's pretty direct there. Uh, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What's interesting is that kind of the first verse we read uh, today was for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. We're very much like that in our, in our everyday life. We, either, we demand signs. We want to see evidence of this. God, I'll believe in you more. I will, I will be passionate. I will, I will go to church more. If you, um, I will give more if you do fill in the blank. In one degree or another, we, we've asked that prayer. We've said that thing to God a lot. I will continue in this job. I will continue... In this, in this project, I will continue in this whatever. If you just do this, like prove to me that you're in it. And we do that sometimes. Sometimes that's right for us to make sure God's in it. But oftentimes our pride takes us one way. We go with the wisdom of the world that God needs to prove himself so that we continue on. Another way we go is we seek the wisdom like the, like the Greeks are doing here. And we just say, I need to understand what this is. This doesn't make any sense. I'm just perplexed. How could you possibly be a part of this? How could there be so much COVID if you are a good and loving God? Why is my heart so anxious all the time? Answer my questions. And we go that way as well. Now, maybe you don't go that bluntly to God. I know I have, uh, but maybe you don't. But in one way or another, we, we, we're kind of asking that question a lot. And this would be an encouragement to uh, not do that as much. There's a, good, there's a, there's a goodness in, in, in asking for God to work in certain ways. There's a goodness in asking for God to give wisdom in certain ways. We're told to ask for those in the Bible. But when we put that as the criteria for God to prove himself before we really throw ourselves in, uh, we're, we're going for the wisdom of men on that one. We're going for a God who must prove himself when he already has proven himself. Um, the... Uh, and so he, uh, we, we get this idea that this, this wisdom. So what is this wisdom? The wisdom of God is this. It's an outlook or a worldview in which God is sovereign. He's supreme. He is benevolent. He is holy. He is powerful. And we take that out of the abstract storybook, Old Testament kind of thought of a God we might have. And we, we put him as real right in front of us, right? As real as the sun is on us today, right? As real as this experience is for us today. And we bring him into our world of reality and we map our decisions. We map our hearts. We map our convictions. We map our confessions onto the reality that there is a holy God who is burning and all-consuming who wants that from us. He wants un. Uh, un, uh, unhindered, untainted worship from us in the way we talk with our family and our spouse and our friends and our, and our co-workers and our neighbors in the way we, we, we live out the daily life as though God is there because he is. This is what the wisdom of God is, mapping the reality of God to our everyday life. 
and doing that over time. This is the wisdom then. We get to finally the end of, uh, or the very beginning of verse six, we get to, uh, this is the wisdom that is imparted to the mature. Before we discuss the mature, the recipients of this wisdom, uh, we need, it would be helpful for us to understand how this wisdom is, uh, is acquired, or rather, I guess, because wisdom can't be acquired in the way that God gives it, uh, how this wisdom is uh, revealed and how it is received by us. And so we get to our, our second point. The wisdom of God is revealed through the Spirit. This is verses uh, 10 through 13. And I, I kind of just put them all together in a summary here. So verse 11 says that just as your spirit knows your thoughts, your secret thoughts, your inner thoughts, whatever happening in you, only your spirit knows this. So also the Holy Spirit knows, verse 10, the depths of God. And so the one who knows the depths of God, the one who has an equal steadfast love for people and benevolently, benevolently uh, provides an understanding to people, is that verse 10, he knows the depths of God and that in his wisdom and his love, he chooses to reveal certain aspects of his character, of his thoughts, of his will to certain people at certain times. And this process happens through, verse 10, the Spirit. It's not through, verse 12, the wisdom of this age. So we understand more about God, not by reading a bunch of books about God, not by going to a bunch of classes or listening to a bunch of podcasts about God. Those could be helpful, but those are secondary or tertiary. We primarily understand who God is from God himself. And we forget that sometimes. Reading a book that makes the Bible more understandable can be helpful, but it's not the revelation of God. And so I don't want to say don't read books that help you understand the Bible, but don't only read books that help you understand the Bible. You need to be in the Bible. It is the revealed word of God. It is how he chose to reveal himself to us. I know one time I, when I was learning Spanish, um, I could learn from the books how Spanish worked. I could understand the grammar, but it wasn't until I went to Mexico and had a conversation that I really started to understand how the language worked and what parts of the language worked. The Bible says some stuff in weird ways. It says, some, it says strange stuff. It repeals to thought of, of, of ages gone by. Poetry in the Bible is so bizarre and very different and nothing like Dr. Seuss. We're not used to it. But as we get in it and we meditate on it and we slow it down, we start to learn and hear and understand the language of God as he has presented himself and that's actually intended. It's actually supposed to be that way so that we have to learn and rethink ways to, uh, to understand God. We have to not simply tune our hearts to hear his grace. We need, to, we need to tune our ears to hear him the way he is speaking. And he does so when we tune him that way in a very powerful, truthful, and loving way. And so rather than listen to the words of the day, we listen to the words of God himself. Before I go to, uh, to, to the words of God himself, uh, this idea of rhetoric, I think we need to clear this up a little bit. Uh, a lot of times in 1 Corinthians, we're going to hear this idea of, of fine speaking, of eloquent wisdom. I didn't come to you with eloquent wisdom, but I came with you to you knowing Christ and only him. There's this talk, this, uh, the, the, the fancy word is rhetoric, a way of presenting your argument. It's not, it's not 
doesn't matter if you have something that is true. It's just the way you present it. It's kind of the packaging of the message. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is calling this out, and he's saying, you guys are really good at packaging a whole bunch of bad ideas. You guys are really good at packaging uh, this. Actually, the people who are most famous and the most loved in your, in your society, in your town, in your church, are the ones who are packaging it well. What does this look like for us today? Uh, this could be, you know, we oftentimes think of eloquent preachers. And so I've been convicted of that. Um, I've not been convicted to the level that I have to provide like bad sermons, but um, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't go that way. You can, you can give Christ uh, beautifully without having a ton of extra beautiful words, but it goes into more than that. It goes into uh, what is our service like? Are we trying to make it a beautiful production? Or are we giving it the love and the truth of Christ. It goes into our whole church, the expression we have. Are we, going for, uh, are we going for the truth and the love that comes in Christ as we sit under the cross, or are we going for something that is more of a brand? There are things that should be convicting to us and encouraging to us as we think through this idea of eloquence. As we think of it, though, on a, on a bigger level, on, a, on, a, on an outside of the church kind of a level, how do we listen to the wisdom of this age? I would say if we go with the rhetoric idea, the packaging of the message, rhetoric today, the most prominent rhetoric today is social media. As Facebook, as Twitter, as TikTok, as uh, Snapchat, as Instagram. Most of our powerful speakers today are most powerful speakers. They even call them influencers. There's a reason for this. It's because they're eloquent. You know, I'll be honest, very few actually have a thought very few actually have a helpful thought. And I'm not, hit, I'm, not, I'm not like a guy who just like hates social media. I kind of do, but I'm not speaking from that. I'm saying this is what rhetoric is today. We need to be careful of what we're actually bringing in. We ourselves contribute to this. I don't know how many times I've written a post and then edited it and then edited it and then edited it. What am I doing? I'm practicing my rhetoric I actually now have like a, a convi- uh, like a stance that I just don't post because most of the time it just gets lit up and then I get angry because they didn't like my rhetoric. So, huh, huh that's, that's neat how that happens. Could be news, which I would actually at this point uh, sarcastically probably go too far on this one. And I would say our ne- news feels a lot more like entertainment these days is because they've tapped into the idea of rhetoric spending more time preparing how they talk about it than delivering the true researched content of what is there. We rarely get objective news. This happened and that's all. We get told a lot more what the meaning of what happened is. I think even, even today, I think that there, are, there is a good vibrance and a necessary, a necessary reality and an unfortunate necessity to many of the different kinds of protests uh, that are happening today. But that is a way of rhetoric, a very powerful rhetoric. Uh, if we protest, we are saying our message in a different way. And so if we join those, if we support those, we need to assess the content. Again, I'm not saying that they're right or wrong. Some are right, some are wrong. I don't know. But we need to assess how we are speaking to one another. We need to assess how we are receiving these things. Fine sounding arguments are fine sounding, but they may not be true. And that is not wisdom. That's wisdom of this age, not wisdom of Christ. How did Christ deliver his? 
Second Peter 1.21 tells us uh, one of these ways. It says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, by his own rhetoric, uh, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who knows the deep things of God decided to tell us the actual truth straight from God. And he put that in the Bible. And he said, read that, dwell on that, meditate on that, feast on that, and have that inform your wisdom. How you map that reality to your daily life. Ephesians, uh, and for that reason, then Paul who is telling the, uh, the Corinthians this, also goes over and prays for the Ephesians. He says, uh, for this reason, uh, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So here is my prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope that which he has called you, uh, to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he goes on with just such amazing exaltation of Christ there. He says that you may have the wisdom and revelation of the Spirit so that you have the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I think that's the key. Spiritual understanding comes from our hearts being activated to our knowledge of God. That's not happening in the Corinthian church right now. The Corinthian church has a lot of head knowledge, has a lot of speaking skills. They have not had their hearts enlightened to activate so that it becomes their worldview. Let's not be that way. And he goes on to explain here. In, in verses, uh, verses 10 through uh, 16, or 10 through 13 is where we were at. He goes on the very end, at verse, verse 13. He says, through interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit to those who are spiritual. This is where I really want to land it because it, it hits us at home here today. In verse 14, he goes on, he says, there's a spiritual person, but then there is a natural person. It says, the natural person, verse 14, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. What is this natural person? This natural person is someone who, who does it backwards, who, who starts from themselves goes out to whatever data they get or whatever ideas they can get. So they kind of just grab what they can, that's you and me, if we go this route, and then we make sense of this in our own understanding. Okay, if this, then this. You know, if, uh, if cancer, then this. If COVID, then this. If financial ruin, then this. And you talk to people who, with their own understanding, can conclude God's a big, nasty ogre in the sky. That's a way of perishing. If you conclude, though, that uh, my life is good, my life is great, it's probably because I've been doing some great things or because I have some sense of faith. I go to church and life is good because of that. Oh, that's closer, but you're still off. And that's a tragic way to go. Church attendance, Bible reading equals good life. That's not it. It says, so these natural people put together the data they have, the understanding they have, and then they make sense of it on their own. However, that's not how that works. Not with the natural person, not with the flesh mind. In, in chapter 1, verse 26, he, he says, uh, worldly standards literally says flesh mind, a mind of the flesh, living so that you show you are a Christian, whether you are or not, 
but living like the Christians live. But he says, but there's a spiritual people. These spiritual people, these are the ones that get it. These are the ones that understand it because these are the ones who have the spirit. They are those who are sanctified in Christ. That's chapter one, verse two. Those who are called to be saints together. That's chapter one, verse two. And rather than perishing, they are those who are being saved, chapter one, verse 18. These are the people who have the spirit, who have the tools to understand. They have the tools to reach beyond what their own understanding would be, to understand Christ crucified in the past, Christ returning in the future, and to say, this means something today. You're not going to get that if you just walk around in today with data and ideas. When you have that spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding, you can then process the data in a way that brings about God's glory. And so I want to clear, clear this up here. There, 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 there are a couple, couple things um, that we have because we talk about this idea of maturing. I, I want to get there. So to be clear, what Paul understands and he tells us, because this is how it is, you're either saved or you are perishing. There are only two categories in the Bible. You're saved or perishing. Those are the two. So other language for these is you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or you are an unbeliever. You are spiritual, that is, you are sealed with the spirit or you are natural, that is, you are governed by the flesh. Like those are all the same two categories in just different ways. There are only two different ones. And because this is something so, so very important, I kind of want to put the natural person off to the side. When we talk about spiritual people, there's some confusion in the church today. It's, a, it's just a big pool of one category. You are saved. You are, you are sealed with the Spirit. There, there are no like hierarchy of Christians. There is no second level here. There is no, depending on your tradition, there is no second baptism of the Spirit and, and you move to something more. There is no shorter purgatory for some. Those are, those are different categories for people. Uh, there is no... Um, there is no, uh, there is no um, other level where, where you could just be kind of this, this person and then all of a sudden you actually become a Christian. See, here's the difference. There's faith and that's kind of the, the realization that Christ forgives your sin. So there's faith there. But then there's this idea of faithfulness, which uh, Eugene, Eugene Peterson, he calls a long obedience in the same direction. So there's the start of the journey and the continuing of the journey that makes sense. It's not two different journeys when we're Christians. So what is maturity? I think we're at this point. We understand there's wisdom of God imparted to those who are wise uh, through the Spirit, but what, what is maturity? Maturity, to me, as I read 1 Corinthians, as I read what Paul says in all of his writing, I think what Paul means when he says maturity is it's not so much a second level or a first class spiritual citizen, but it's like a tree planted by streams of water. A mature tree will drink daily of the water over time. That's just how a tree matures, right? All of the trees that are out here, we will call them mature trees when they have proven themselves over time to drink of the water. So a mature Christian then is not a different, higher category of Christian, but rather like a tree planted by streams of water, drinks daily of Christ over time. A tree will yield fruit in its season, but its focus is on the drinking. 
That's a big thing as far as what we do as a church. And what I've said here is, is, is huge for all of us who believe and how we march ahead. Because that's the task of all of us. Whether we're new to the faith, whether we've been in the faith for a, a day, a year, where we were not even in the faith yet, all of our task is to drink daily of Christ over time. And now if you've talked to someone who has done that, you'll find that they have some great wisdom. They've been around the block a couple of times. They've not simply read through the Bible, drinking daily of, of, uh, of Christ from what was revealed in the Bible. And so this might be a person who quotes scripture a lot, who's able to direct you through uh, um, scripture pretty eloquently. It may be someone who has enough of the truth embedded in their hearts and has gone through some rough stuff and has been able to understand how the word of God maps to reality. That's a great joy of me to, to kind of sit down as pastor with, 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 with each of you and, and talk through many of the stories here. It's, it's something that's for me, when I look out, I see a whole bunch of different stories. Um, and many of you have gone through highs and lows that are completely different than others. But there's something that brings us to the same mind of Christ. It's that somehow we are trying to map ourselves to the mind of Christ, to the wisdom of God. And that is great. And there's great unity in that. It plays out very differently in our lives. God has a different course for everyone's life, but for some reason, he has given us this unity that is in Christ. And we can only know this and only can understand this, this worldview and only can, can approach our lives as unified people with the same mind of Christ, the same view, the same outlook of Christ. We can only get to that if we're reading the manual, if we're reading the instructions, and if we're listening to the Spirit. There's a scholar who, uh, who writes it this way. He, he talks about how we be a spiritual people. He says, to be spiritual is to have apprehended the word of the cross in such a way that it has transformed the entire existence of the believer into, the, into its image, to a cruciform life, a life characterized by self-sacrificing love and where power is manifest through weakness. He said, this is the spiritual life. This is someone who has received the revelation of Christ, who has understood that at best you and I are forgiven sinners. And that's where we stand, at the foot of the cross. And to move ahead in our life, longing for that day of resurrection, a full resurrection glory, and loving each other along the way. So I'll give uh, maybe four urges from Scripture, because I've not yet answered the question, how do we get there? <laughs> we focus on Christ. I hope you get that. Uh, Christ is the content of the wisdom of God. Christ is the way in which faith in Christ activates a sealing of the Spirit who enlightens our hearts to understand. And those who are spiritual are those who are in Christ, drinking from his truth daily. But just some pra practical steps. The Bible gives us a lot of practical uh, advice here, a lot of practical guidance on how to get there. Now, the first would be, Ask for wisdom. If you don't have it, if you read the Bible, it's confusing. If you think the things of God or think about God, it doesn't make sense. If there's some fog there, it seems like Josh Casey preaching to you right now is really passionate, though one tooth down, really convicted of this. 
and you don't understand how he could be this convicted of this, pray for wisdom. Pray for, pray for discernment. Pray for understanding in it. James 5.1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. All you have to do is say, God, help me. I found in my own life, testimony, I found in my own life that I have prayed that so many times. And there have been a part of me that's like, I don't think I'm getting wiser. Maybe I just don't have the wisdom to understand the verse that I'm praying. <laughs> and, uh, and then all of a sudden I find that I've been studying the Bible a lot and connections start happening when I wasn't even thinking of it. My study time was actually just putting the data into my mind. But when I went and go and, and lived and meditated on it, that started making the connections. And that's the Spirit's work in me. That's the Lord answering that. So ask for wisdom. Uh, test the wisdom of this age. First Thessalonians 5 says, test all things and hold on to what is good. We need to test them, but not whether we like them or not. We're really good at that. We've learned that within the rhetoric of the day to test and hate and like and angry face, uh, whatever, uh, whatever truth comes our way. Test it against the Bible. Because if we have to test it against something, it must be tested against what's right. And we have to go process things in the Bible. And then for, for those of you who, are, uh, who, who maybe uh, feel you would call yourself mature, I think this one's a little bit more for you, though it's for all of us. Lean not on your own understanding. Your maturity is not salvation. Your maturity is not what the church needs most. It needs Christ most, and you can steward your maturity toward Christ. Proverbs 3, 5, 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. You don't have the silver bullet, though you are mature. Christ will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Oh, how healing and refreshing it is when we finally give up on our plan and proclaim his. And then finally, as you ask for wisdom, as you test all things, as you lean not on your own understanding, Keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Put data. Study the Bible. Be in conversation. Read things. Fill up your data bank. That's totally fine and a good thing to do. And then lean into the Spirit as you interpret what's good, as you assess what is right as you assess how to be a virtuous Christian in the way, the example, the pattern, and the purposes of Christ Jesus. So we get the, spirit, uh, the wisdom of God is revealed through the Spirit to those who are spiritual. And it's beautiful that that last, uh, that last verse there says, but we have the mind of Christ. I urge you that you be united in the same mind. What mind is that? The mind of Christ. And how do we get there? by keeping in step with the Spirit as we learn and as we understand.